man. All right, well, good to see everybody again. Ready to jump into the scriptures together. We are looking at snapshots from the book of Acts. So if you weren't here last week, uh, you'll notice behind me are certain snapshots that are really snapshots of our church. Uh, We don't have any snapshots of the early church. They didn't have photography back then. Uh, But we have snapshots of our church really kind of encompassing our four core values of worship and service and family and outreach. And so uh, we're going to be looking at different snapshots from the book of Acts, different parts of the book of Acts that talk about different things that happen and learning from them. From good and bad. So the early church isn't perfect. This is, the book of Acts is a narrative, which means it tells us what happened. doesn't mean everything that happened is good. Some things we'll learn from their mistakes. Sometimes we'll learn from, their, from what they did well. We've looked at Pentecost. Uh, Mitch Foreman preached on Pentecost two weeks ago. Uh, that's really the birth of the Christian church, the very beginning of the Christian church. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 9, Saul's conversion. Uh, Saul becomes one of the most important missionaries in the New Testament. Um, and his conversion in many ways is unique to him, but in other ways is, so, in so many ways applies to all of us. Well, today we're going to look at Acts chapter 6. You can open your Bibles there. We'll have it on the screen. It's in your bulletins. Uh, which is really a, a picture, a snapshot of the church doing ministry together. Doing ministry together. So going back to Acts 6, the church is exploding. After Pentecost, the church grows and grows and grows. God gives blessing to his word. Uh, The church literally is now in the thousands. Thousands of people are meeting there in Jerusalem. They meet in the only place big enough to hold thousands of people. They meet in the temple. And at that point in time, there isn't enough animosity between them um, and the Jewish leaders that they're not allowed to meet there. Revival is happening, and then they start to hit some speed bumps. They hit a pretty big speed bump in chapter 5, which we're not looking at today. But another one here in chapter 6. And that is the need for more ministers. (laughs) And here's the point, friends. More ministers means more ministry. And of course, I'm not saying more pastors. It's the difference between saying more ministers and more pastors. I think one of the disservices that the church has given to us over the years is that they've equated pastors with ministers. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that. All of us are called to be ministers. Yes, there are some called to be pastors, but all are called to do ministry. Today is a, a big day for us as a church. We have communion this morning. We only do that once a month. That's always a special Sunday. We have our annual meeting after the service, which we're going to be doing a lot of things like uh, electing new officers or putting people on different teams and boards. And then also we're looking at our new constitution today. And so much of that is built on what we're learning right here in Acts 6, that more people doing ministry leads to more ministry being done. The more ministers you have, more ministry can happen. Look with me at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We read this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, 
a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. More ministers leads to more Ministry. We're going to break this down. Uh, there's a breakdown in your bulletin for any visitors here or anything that's new. Uh, we're going to be looking at four different points going through this. First, that all ministry takes time, energy, and effort. Verses 1 through 2. So look what happens in chapter uh, 6, uh, verse 1. A ministry issue arises that needs attention. Uh, the church is growing. It's increasing. And it sort of has to face some growth pains as it begins to grow. Uh, a complaint arises from within the church. So you have sometimes problems that happen from outside the church. Somebody is oppressing the church. Somebody is persecuting the church. Uh, Somebody is trying to stop the the witness of the gospel. And sometimes, oftentimes, (laughs) you have problems that arise within the church. Well, this is a problem that arises from within the church. And that is that you have these two groups of people, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Um, Now, they're all Jews. These are all Jews in the early church, basically all Jews. Um, The Hellenists are those Jews who have been more influenced by Greek culture. So, Hellene, Greek, uh, for anyone who knows a little bit of their their, uh, uh, history there. Uh, So, these are Jews who have been more (laughs) Greekized, more influenced by Greek culture. They probably speak Greek the majority of the time, rather than Aramaic. And then you have the Hebrews... These are Jews who are probably more purists. They focus on uh, maintaining their purity from the culture. There are those who probably uh, only speak Aramaic or Hebrew. And you have their widows who are in the church. And they say that the Hellenists are saying, well, our widows are getting neglected. They're not getting as much food as the Hebrew Jews, uh, Hebrew widows are getting. One of the neat things about this is notice what's going on there in the church. That they're supporting and caring for widows. Keep in mind, you don't have a welfare system in the first century in Israel. You don't have social security. And most elderly widows don't have really much of a means of supporting themselves if their family is not able to do so. So what does the church do? The church steps up and begins to support those in the community who are in the greatest need. Actually, 1 Timothy talks about this. It says, let a widow be enrolled in this list if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a good reputation for good works. Then it continues, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. In other words, if family can support them, let the family do it. But if nobody else can support them, the church comes in and supports these widows. Now, is this a real issue? Uh, Meaning... Is there a real problem here? Did, did, they, did, they really get, did they really overlook the Hellenist widows and give them less food than the Hebrew widows uh, or not? Actually, we don't know. It doesn't tell you. Was this a perception that they thought that they were getting less food and that the Hellenists are, are, are oversensitive? Or was this really happening in the early church? We're not told, actually, whether it's a real issue. And I think that's important because oftentimes the church, even today, faces issues like this. <laughs> Maybe it's an issue of perception. Maybe it's a, there really is a favoritism. Maybe it's just misunderstanding. You face issues like this all the time. Well, when this issue uh, comes to the 12, the apostles, they recognize there's a problem here, but they actually recognize there's a bigger problem at work, which we're going to look at a little later on, and that is that the time used, the effort, the energy that's used to deal with this issue will take away any time that we have to focus on the ministry of the Word and prayer. It's too time-consuming. But before we look at that, 
Notice here, friends, that he calls it here serving tables. That's a metaphor for getting down and dirty and helping with the physical needs that are occurring within the church. That serving tables is important. So don't read this and think that the point is that this is not important stuff and they've got to focus on the really important stuff like the ministry of the word. No, this is important. This is extremely valuable. Uh, Jesus himself came as a servant, one who served. He said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He called those who follow him to be servants like him. As we said, servanthood is one of our core values as a church. We're called, each of us individually, to be servants. There's no job that's below us. That's not the point, is that the apostles are saying, "This, this job is below us. That's not it at all. We're all called to be servants. This is a little story. When I was at Gordon College, I went to Gordon College in Wenham, and I was looking for a job on campus, and I went to the physical plant guy, a big, big guy that worked there, staff member, big beard, and he said to me, he said, you know, Rick, this is a Christian college, and even though it's a Christian college, we have a hard time finding people who are willing to scrub toilets. That's what he said, right? So I said, all right, I'll, I'll scrub toilets. That's what it said. So I scrubbed toilets. I worked in the science building. Didn't contract any weird diseases or any science, you know, things that I don't believe. Um, and, uh, and also in my own dorm. And I got this compliment from him. And I hold, the, hold this dear. He said, those bathrooms that Rick Harrington cleans are the cleanest bathrooms on campus. <laughs> I like that. Absolutely. There's, <laughs> thank you. There is no job that is beneath us. And actually, they're dealing with widows here. And God has a special place in his heart for widows. In the Old Testament, we we hear about the need to care for widows and orphans. Those who have lost their husband, those who have lost their fathers. Not only that, you can see there's an issue here of classism. Are you starting to have two different classism, almost like a racism, except for the same, they're all Jews, but there's sort of a, a higher class of Jews, those who are Hebrews, and a lower class of Jews. Is that what's starting to happen? I mean, this could eventually lead to a church Split. This is important. Somebody needs to take the time to talk to both sides, to sit down and talk to the Hellenists, to sit down and talk to the Hebrews, to sit down with the widows, to make sure nobody's feeling neglected, to get at the truth of what's happening uh, in this t- at this time, and then to try to find a solution to this particular problem. What can you do about it? How can we make sure everybody gets enough food? How can we make sure there's not a, a bad perception? It's going to take time, it's going to take energy, it's going to take effort. The apostles recognize the importance of this. They're not dismissing it, but they're looking for a sustainable, long-term solution to this issue. Ministry takes time, friends. Uh, Dealing with conflict in a church takes time. Every church has to deal with conflict. One, because we're all sinners. (laughs) And you think about it, if we're all sinners, there are times where we're going to bump heads because of our sin. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to say things that are, uh, are going to be taken the wrong way or people, things that are going to be hurtful to another person. And it takes time to deal with that conflict. And sometimes it has nothing to do with sin. It's just misunderstanding, as we said. Uh, it's not just that we're sinful, although that we are. It's that we're limited. Our, our little three-pound brain can't comprehend everything in this world. And we misunderstand what somebody else is saying and what, they're, what they mean by what they say. A lot of issues of conflict have nothing to do necessarily, or directly at least, with sin. They have more to do with a misunderstanding. And even if you take misunderstanding out, we're different. God made us different. 
We have different personalities. We have different preferences. We have different styles. So just taking music for one example. As many churches struggle with the issue of, of music, and our church is no exception to that, there are different styles. It's not that one is right and the other is wrong. Different preferences because God has made us differently. And not just conflict that takes time. Ministry itself takes time. Even if you take conflict off the table, just ministering to these widows is going to take time. All ministry takes time. Ministry is to serve other people. It's going to take time. It takes time to listen to people and really hear them as you spend time with them. To prepare for a study if you're leading a Bible study or a community group. Or there's just labor to be done. People come and they just have work that they do here at the church. Whether that's hanging up pictures on a wall or whatever it may be, scrubbing floors. Ministry takes time. You know, our church is run by volunteers. We have great, we have amazing staff. I, I can't speak higher than our, enough about our staff, but I just got to say, our church is run by volunteers, people who devote and volunteer their time to serve. I, I know it's not Mother's Day. N- next week is Mother's Day. But just as a parallel example, have you ever heard what you would have to pay a mother for all the volunteer service she offers a family? Have you ever heard this before? This is the International Business Times. Uh, the results of Salary.com's 14th annual mom salary survey puts a stay-at-home mom's annual income if she were paid for her work at $118,905 a year, annual salary. They also found a working mom, not to leave them out at all, have to, you would have to add $70,177 to her annual salary to compensate for the 60 hours of housework a week she does on top of her full-time job. Right? If you had to pay your, your, the moms in the family for all the work they did, we wouldn't afford them. Well, in the same sense, friends, we as a church, we depend so much on those who devote their time and their energy and their effort to volunteering here. And we couldn't pay them if we we wanted to, and yet they devote themselves to it. And I don't have any problem asking you to devote yourself, because you're not doing it to serve, certainly not to serve me, uh, or to serve a building, you're doing it to serve the Lord. I encourage you to serve the Lord. You give up your time and your energy to the Lord. What better way to use it? Your commitment to ministry resources for ministry, time to pray over ministry, using your skills and talents to serve the church. All ministry takes time, energy, and effort. But as I said, there's a bigger problem arising, verses 3 to 4, that the ministry of the word and prayer is a priority. The ministry of the word and prayer is a priority. Look at uh, verse 3, uh, 3 and 4 here. He said, they come up with their solution. Uh, the, they realize again that they're missing out time that should be spent on the ministry of the word and prayer, which potentially is a worse problem. If, if they end up losing all their time uh, doing the ministry of the word and prayer, that's worse than having the widows not be fed and end up leading to a church split or whatever, because if the ministry of the word and prayer isn't being done, what's the point of the church? It loses the edge of the spear itself. So they come up with this solution, pick out seven men of good repute. So men that have a good reputation in the congregation, and maybe outside the congregation too, in the community, but primarily people who are already kind of seen as leaders, already seen as godly men. Uh, make sure they're spiritual, uh, full of the Spirit. By the, uh, spiritual, by the way, means full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it doesn't mean mystical or something like that. When we as Christians talk about somebody who's spiritual, we mean somebody who is filled with the Holy Spirit and wise. Make sure that they're people who are wise. And notice he says, pick them out and we will appoint them. 
that the apostles will have the final word, the final say, or who these people are going to be. Uh, that's one of the changes we're kind of making in our bylaws, by the way, uh, that, that we look to the congregation for wisdom. Uh, who do you think should be in a specific office or on a specific team? Or, and then the elders appoint uh, who would be in that position. Uh, and then he says, we will, and we can do this. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. We'll, be make, we'll make sure that the gospel is advancing, that it's moving forward. And what's the gospel for any visitors, any people who aren't familiar with it? I always love to make sure it's clear. The gospel is that God has sent his only son, that his son has died on the cross, the Lord Jesus, in our place as a substitute. So that if we put our faith in him and trust in him as Savior and Lord, we find forgiveness and grace and the gift of eternal life. We begin a relationship with him that will last forever. That's where they need to make sure they're defending the priorities in their ministry. Ministry, the word, and prayer are a priority. Here's what often happens with pastors. Uh, Pastors often end up focusing so much on other issues, facility issues, financial issues, conflict issues like we just talked about, administrative issues. And and again, there's a balance. Uh, My point is not to say that pastors and elders should not spend any time on those things. Every pastor spends time on those things. Every pastor should spend some time on dealing with those types of things. But what gets squeezed out? Preparation for preaching, right? Instead of 10 hours this week, I'm only going to put in five or three. Or the night before, I'll make sure I look and find a passage to preach on. Or maybe the Sunday morning, I'm going to be searching for something. I'll just find time. I'll take away from the preparation of preaching. Or I'm going to spend all my time with members. No time left to spend with non-Christians. The people in the community who need to know Jesus. Because I'm always dealing with interpersonal issues within the church. Or personal prayer gets squeezed out. Right? I don't have time to pray. I'm just running from one meeting to the next, to the next, to the next. There's no time to just spend time with the Lord and pray for people in our church. There's a constant fight, friends, to make sure this is a priority. And actually, the statistics back this up. If you look at healthy, growing churches, and you compare them to other churches who are either declining or stabilized, what you find is... No surprise, healthy, growing churches have pastors who spend more time in preparation for preaching and more time with non-believers where they can talk to, talk to them about the Lord. Right, so there's a, there's a priority when it comes to the ministry of the word and prayer. Let's make sure that we as a church here at First Baptist keep that priority. And friends, I just want to encourage you here. I feel like this has happened here for me over the last five years. It's gotten so much better. I've been able to spend more time in preparation for preaching, in preparation for teaching, more time planning for studying, uh, planning for for sermons, more time in study and preparation, uh, more time thinking about careful applications for you guys as we're going through the scriptures. And it's not just pastors. Uh, We as a church need to make sure we keep a priority on the word of God and prayer. Uh, And our community groups, our, our group leaders are able to focus on bringing the scriptures to people in a good, healthy way. Uh, classes, we've been able to offer some great classes. We offer the Perspectives class here recently. Actually, it was the second time, uh, which on the Perspectives on World Mission. Uh, recently, the Financial Peace University class that the Perons taught was excellent. Uh, we want to make sure there's good, healthy teaching here as well. We had our men's retreat yesterday. We we'll make sure we have plenty of opportunities, women's retreat coming up. Good, healthy teaching of the word. That there's a priority there. And different events, like this missions event coming up, where it's not just a fundraiser. It's also an opportunity to educate the congregation of all the missionaries 
that we're supporting. I think the ministry of the word isn't just preaching and teaching, it's also evangelism. I've been able to spend more time with non-Christians, those outside the church too, to talk to those in the community. More time doing missions. By, your, by God's grace, in the last five years, I've been able to do two mission trips. Uh, the elders allowed me to go and uh, go to Nepal twice. I think because of that, I've become a better preacher and a better pastor for you guys. So you, ultimately, you benefit from that. And that we as a church need to make sure that that's what we're focusing on, not just the facility and finances, as important as those things are, as we just talked about, but also are we getting into the community and talking to those who don't know the Lord and prayer. Prayer. Are we able as a church to put a priority on prayer? Sometimes this passage is preached saying we need to put a focus and an emphasis on the ministry of the word. And they stop there. <laughs> Finish the sentence. The ministry of the word and prayer, right? That's the, two, that's the full thing. And prayer. Are we as a church focusing on prayer? On Wednesday night, our Wednesday night prayer meeting meets every Wednesday at 6.30 for years now. And I honestly believe that so much of what God has done here at our church is at least partially due to the faithfulness of that group continually coming before the Lord and asking Him to do it. Uh, Again, as a pastor, I felt like I've been given more time. I figured at the beginning of my my time as a lead pastor here, I had no time for this. I had had no time for it. In fact, I remember having to tell uh, people I don't have time to do funerals or weddings for anybody outside the church. There's just no no time. That has changed over the last five years. Uh, I'm able to be involved now with the Common Ground Pastors a prayer meeting every week on Tuesday morning. What a great group of pastors we have here in Haverhill. We meet together, pray together, spend some time in fellowship with one another. I was at the National Day of Prayer uh, recently. I know some folks uh, here were there as well. What a blessed time that is to be in the community and praying with other churches as well. Friends, make sure we put a priority on the ministry of the word and prayer. Make sure the gospel is being advanced and going forward. There's a priority. How do we do that? What's the solution? Verses 5 and 6. Take a look with me. We should look for, train, and commission faithful ministers. This is how we get there. So what do they do? It says they, uh, what they said pleased the whole group. So the church loves this idea. Yes, raise up some new leaders from within the church. That is a good thing. We're all for you on this idea. And they choose seven men. Seven's always a good number, right? You don't have to have seven. Seven's a good Bible number. Um, these seven men are servants. They're called servants, serving tables. Uh, and what is a servant? A servant is a deacon. The word deacon means servant, by the way. It's just a fancy, old, uh, fancy Greek word for deacon. Uh, so these are the deacons of the church, in a sense. These are those who are serving under the apostles, who are acting like elders in the early church there. And look how they're described, like these seven names. We don't know much about them except for really the first two. Uh, Stephen is described as a man full of faith. And of the Holy Spirit, the exact type of person they were looking for for this role. Somebody full of the Holy Spirit. Philip, interestingly enough, becomes a powerful missionary and minister of the Word. So they chose these people in a sense to, so that they could focus on the ministry of the Word. But the first two end up being ministers of the Word in time. They're sort of trained up and they go forth. Philip goes into Samaria. All seven of the names are Greek names, by the way. Um, they're all Jews, we believe, except for the last one who is Nicolaus, who is described as a proselyte. Now, a proselyte, it doesn't mean a proselyte to the Christian faith. That's not what it means. He was a proselyte to Judaism first, years before, who has now become a Christian. And I think that's wise. Think about the wisdom of the congregation and of the apostles here to choose not just those who have Greek names, so these who can relate well to the Hellenists, 
but also even foreseeing perhaps future problems down the line if more Gentiles come to faith is there going to be a, a lower class for them well let's put a proselyte right here on these seven men they set them before the apostles again the apostles have the say here make sure they approve of them they know them personally they have an interaction with them they do what they pray and they lay hands on them Friends, ministry means looking for and commissioning more ministers looking for and commissioning more ministers these men are tasked with figuring out this whole widow issue now, how did it turn out, the whole widow issue? We don't know. I wish they told us. What did they end up doing about this whole thing? But nevertheless, I'm sure they took the time and the energy and the effort into uh, figuring out the problem and making sure everybody feels like they're being treated fairly, even if it was just a perception that that perception is removed. But churches, friends, raise up leaders. They look to those in the congregation who have experience, who have spent time walking with the Lord and spent time serving. And then, as it says, the elders would appoint and commission one of the things we did hire recently, we hired Josh, Josh Williams. He's, I think he's on snakes and he's in the back there. And that was a real blessing for me and for, I think, for our elders to say, okay, Josh, you're going to oversee the facility and the business side of this church, <laughs> which allows me then to now focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. So what do we do? We brought him in front of the congregation. We laid hands on him. We prayed for him. And that has already been a blessing for me, I have to say, for sure. But notice, they're not just looking for people who are competent. Yes, competent, but not just competent. They're looking for people who are spiritually mature and who are wise. You know, it's, it's dangerous to just look for people who have skills. It's dangerous to look, just look for somebody who has experience in the world in a particular area and then put him or her into an office. You're looking for godly men and women. This is a lesson that I've learned the hard way over the years. I remember, I don't probably want to go into too much detail, but when I did youth ministry, uh, I asked a, a, young, uh, a younger man to help out as one of the adult volunteers, and then he would post stuff about how he's out drinking on the weekends, and realize what, how, I mean, he was, seemed competent, but what kind of influence is he on these teenagers? I asked a young girl to volunteer, a young lady, who was an adult as well, found out later that she had uh, gone to have an abortion and uh, took one of the teenage girls with her to the doctor's office. That's on me as a leader, because I wasn't careful enough to make sure that they're not looking at just competence, but character. These people, men and women of God. Friends, are you using your gifts to do ministry? That's the question. Ministry is not just for the apostles. <laughs> it's not just for pastors. It's not just for a select few. It's for all of us. I think the main role of a pastor and elders is to equip the church to do ministry. We together are called to do ministry. That's what I love about our new bylaws. We have a job description for membership, by the way. Uh, for those who haven't read it, this is the job description for membership. The membership is responsible for the ministry of the church, which would include pastors and elders who are also members. But all of the membership, prayerfully carrying out the vision, mission, and core values of the church by using their spiritual gifts, participating in the life of the church, and contributing to the work of ministry. We're all called to do ministry. Now we have different types of ministry that we do. Some here are like these apostles who are acting as elders in that early church or as pastors. Some are like these seven deacons or committee members, those who are overseeing a practical area of the church. And some are like the widows. Maybe you're in a place where you just need to be more ministered to. You serve as you are able, but you're in a place where you have to take a step back a little bit and have those others instead minister to you. We encourage everyone in our church to do ministry. 
It's our four steps of ministry. By the way, if you never heard this, uh, we first, the first step we, of discipleship is to encourage you to come here on Sunday mornings and spend time with us in worship. And everybody is welcome here on Sunday mornings. Even if you are an atheist, a hardened atheist, we still would love you to join us. Even if you just want to study Christianity, you're well, everybody's welcome here. That's the first step. Just come, hear the word, see what Christians look like and act like, and, and get a sense of it. The next step is membership. So we're asking you then to say, I'm committed to the Lord Jesus and committed to this church now. And then the third step, get involved in a community group. So now you're receiving relationally uh, from the church. You're, you're with a smaller group of people, getting to know them, just, uh, caring for them and being cared for by them. And that fourth step is to now serve, to find an area of ministry where the Lord has gifted you and called you and to get involved and to serve. And to do that, try new things. If it doesn't work out, that's okay. Uh, you take breaks if you need to uh, from doing ministry. If you're in a season where you just need to do that, but then get to it, get to ministry. There's so many areas of ministry that we as a church need to uh, always need help on. Financial assistance, communion, event planning, women, uh, deacons of women. We have deacons of women particularly. Uh, uh, welcoming, dealing with shut-ins, dealing with the facility, with finances. Open hearts ministry in which we open up the doors to the community to feed them. Ushers and greeters and missions people and kid town workers and nursery workers and community group leaders. We're, we're always looking for people to jump in and to serve in some way. And then we come to verse 7. And I'm glad for verse 7 because we were given the result. <laughs> Verses 1 through 6 lead to verse 7. See the result. What happens because they do this? The word increases and disciples multiply. Look what he says here. I'm so glad that Luke gives us the result. The word continued to increase. That's a direct result of what they just did. And disciple, the number of disciples are multiplied. It grows exponentially because they made these changes. Because they were faithful uh, to what the Lord was leading. And a disaster, a potential disaster, is avoided. And that is the stopping of the ministry of the word. We see this throughout the book of Acts, by the way. Times in which God gives special blessing to the, to the expanse of his word. And this is one of them. Uh, we see it in chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and, Sam and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And 16.5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Well, here's another example of it multiplying, of it growing quickly. We see this in church history as well. There are times that God gives a special blessing to the increase of his word, and the word begins to spread. I like what it says. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Oh, the priests. I, the priests are pretty, some of the hardest people to reach <laughs> with the gospel. The priests were those who have studied the, the Old Testament their whole life, but they are also sort of entrenched in the, uh, the Pharisaism of that day, uh, the Sadducees there, uh, these, are, these are people who are already uh, sort of covered in ritual and tradition and probably some of the hardest people to actually reach. Well, what does it take to reach priests? Probably takes a lot of time, a lot of study, a lot of writing perhaps, to reach out to those who are hardest to reach. Now that the apostles have that time, they can reach some of the hardest people in the community to reach, I think. Friends, do you want this? Do you want this for our church? Do you, do you want, do you, would you love to see more people coming to know the Lord Jesus? 
You want to see the word increase and disciples multiplied. Do you, do you want to see your friends come to know Jesus? Do you want to see your neighbors? Do you want to see our city impacted? Do you want to see Kid Town full of kids? Or it is kind of full of kids, but even more so that God would give us. The church filled with people of all different stages in their walk with the Lord. To see our nursing homes ministered to. As again, we already have folks going to the nursing home. To see prisons ministered to. As we have folks who go into prison and people who work with people who got out of prison and aftercare. And people, missionaries going to the nations. That's been God, by God's grace again. I feel like for the, for more so in the last five years I have time. This week, I, or last week I spoke with a 95 year old lady about the Lord. I talked talk to kids who were losing their dad. I talked to a 33-year-old lady with bipolar. Time to reach out and see that the word goes forth in our community. And to even see hard, difficult people reached. As we said, people in the 1040 window. People in Israel and Nepal as we're sending out some missionaries, Lord willing, this year. To see hardened criminals reached. To see people who are caught up in different cults reached with the gospel. Friends, if we want to be a church that does this, that reaches people, here's the game plan. Everybody doing ministry. Everybody doing their job. From the nursery worker, to the usher, to the prayer warrior, to the staff member. Everybody doing their job in ministry so that the ministry of the word can expand. Not asking you to be a George Whitfield necessarily, or a Billy Graham, or John MacArthur, whoever your favorite preacher is. What God is asking you to do is to do your job. Do the ministry that he has called you to do. Because the more ministers, the more ministry that can be done. Less ministers, the less ministry that can be done. All ministry takes time. It takes energy and effort. The word of God and prayer, ministry of the word and prayer, needs to be a priority. We're called to commission new leaders. Train them and commission them. And then watch the result as God brings it forth. This is why we've done a new constitution. This is the whole purpose. This is why we had a nominating committee that meets and reaches out to ask people to do different um, ministries here at the church. This is why we exist as a church. To the glory of God to do ministry to His people and beyond. Now, there's different ways the church grows. And we want all of them. But churches grow numerically. That's the, the most evident, sort of visible area of growth. Churches grow in depth of understanding of the Word. Churches grow in influence in the community. And churches also grow in ministry that is done. And this is an area, friends, that we desperately as a church want to make sure we're growing in the ministry of the word and prayer. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you for the wisdom that we find in your word. And the clarity. Thank you for the early church, Lord, which in many ways has walked through a lot of the mistakes for us, for us to learn from, but has also has seen the powerful um, wisdom of God, too, that we can learn from. So I pray, Lord, as we continue to look at the book of Acts and look at the early church, we'd listen carefully with spirit and see with spiritual eyes and grow. Father, I pray for our church. Help us to be a church that where everyone is doing ministry, that all of the membership We'll be doing ministry to one another, caring for each other, and that we would allow then for a priority on the ministry of the word and prayer. 
spending time in your presence, getting out there in the community, talking to people who don't know the Lord Jesus and encouraging them in the faith. Father, may we, by your grace, and all glory is given to you, see the result, to see the word of God increase and disciples multiplied. Lord, bless us as a church. You've been so faithful to us here at First Baptist. We have no complaints, Lord, against you. You have been ever faithful and ever kind to us. Fill our hearts with gratitude. Fill our hearts with trust in you. And the confidence going forward, knowing that the Lord Jesus sits on his throne, reigns from on high, has given his spirit to dwell with us as his people, and will continue to carry us until we are with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.